There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So nice to be here. All good. I'm looking forward to it. Yes, yeah, so here we go. Hey guys, come on, bring it in. Hi, I'm Gregory Porter. Welcome to The Hang. Watch what happens when the people catch wind of the water-hidden banks of hard, dry land. We are in, I would say, a little private bar in London at the Café Royale Hotel. And I am with the wonderful Ama Asante. For you, it's through music. For me, it's through film. You know, one of the reasons why I tell the stories that I do, or I try to tell them as profoundly as I do, is that I believe in love. And we're just talking about art family, culture, quite frankly, anything mm -hmm. that contributes to life. Let's do it. Come on. I'm black and I'm female and I'm British, obviously, and I'm married to a Dane and he's a white Dane. We have had the judgment. We have had the stares. How did we meet? That is the question mm. of our love. Oh my goodness. Yeah. That was powerful. <laughs> <laughs> and so here is The Hang. I'm particularly, I'm always amazed at the soil and the root mm. of people, even deeper than what they can see themselves. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What has created this magnificent fruit? <laughs> yeah. Um, It's so interesting, you know, when it comes to storytelling, because I think the one beautiful thing about films, about the, the kind of format of film, Storytelling is that you can utilize so many other forms of art yeah. together. So you have music and you have visuals and, you know, combined at the same time. And you have poetry and speaking sometimes yeah. even. You know, I didn't even think of that. Dance, fashion, all of it is. Yeah, absolutely. Costumes, you know, it's so many different forms of expression of art kind of all coming together to be the, the stimuli for a collective experience. Mm -hmm which is something that I love. But I guess for me, it starts off with that intimate experience between me and the world that I'm creating on page. And for that, I need music. Mm -hmm. The page is a blank page and I put music on and I start to see stuff yeah. and feel. I think the thing is I start to feel. And once I start to feel, I want to tell the story, yeah. you know, of what I'm feeling. So. Yeah. So much of my work has come from seeing an image and then maybe as I'm on my computer or if I'm lucky and I can get a hard copy of that image and I'm playing music as I look at the image, something starts to happen. The beginning of a movie, the end of a movie, the climax of the emotion of mm -hmm. a movie because that's what music does for me in so many ways. So yeah. I one begets the other for me. Yeah, wow. Yeah. That's wonderful. And do you feel that in your craft and mm -hmm. writing, mm -hmm. filmmaking, has, mm -hmm. is, there, is there anything in that that comes from your upbringing? You were born in London. Yes, I was. I was born in South London. 
Um, I was born in the last three months of the 60s. Um, so <laughs> September 69 and uh, so much of it. I mean, there's so much that I can't, can't avoid in many ways and I don't want to finally, which is wonderful. I think um, my parents coming from another country, you know, a country that was a colony of mm-hmm. the UK. So even before they came to Britain, they were very influenced by Britain, mm-hmm. whilst at the same time being very much steeped in their own heritage. And I think that that, I don't want to call it a conflict, but I think that synergy has been has been part of my existence because I've been both things since that day in September 69 that that I was born. And I think it makes you both an insider and an outsider. Mm -hmm. And I think the key thing is that although I can find very kind of literal uh, sort of um, illustrations of how, how I can be an outsider, I think the key thing is that most human beings go through life at one point or another feeling like they're an outsider and it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's a human condition, right? This is a human condition. And so what movies do, I guess, is they exemplify the human condition. Mm -hmm. And so through my own experience, that is a kind of exemplified version of what we all go through. I think I'm able to tell stories and, you know, those, sometimes those stories are painful. Sometimes they're they're happy and they're about the love that kind of unites us all. Sometimes they're about separated love. Definitely the the parent-child relationship I'm really drawn by. And I don't think there's a song out there about parent and child. It doesn't make me weep. Mm-hmm. There's just something about it. Mm-hmm. My dad introduced me to music very, very early on. He had a real good taste in Mm -hmm. music. And so living in a house that had parents from one culture while they were raising me in another. If I can interrupt. Sure. Did did, um, Ghanaian Mm -hmm. culture, did that come across in by way of Food, language, yeah, how? all of Dress. the above, yeah, all of the above. Worship, yeah. It was, you know, as I think back now, my father's passed away now. Mm-hmm. It it was a beautiful, a really beautiful experience. So it came across. I grew up with both Ghanaian food and British food. You know, English food, all were just normal to me. Yeah, I grew up with the language, so I'm fluent in Twi, which is the the language of my parents. Okay. So, you know, they would just go in and out English tree. My dad spoke like an 18th century English lawyer um, (laughs) whenever he spoke English. So it was very high English and very extravagant English. Words we don't use anymore. No, words we don't use anymore. And actually, in fact, when he got dementia, he he regressed back even more into the the kind of English that he was learning in the 1930s. My dad was born. And so, um, and my mother, although she did not speak like that, she could quote Keats and she could quote the great poets Mm -hmm. and she could quote Shakespeare. And when, so when she did go into quoting any of those, then suddenly her language became big and extravagant and vibrant and beautiful as well. So I grew up with these parents who were eccentric and in fact, you know, I won a big award for my first film. I won a British Academy Award. And I recently saw a clip of my winning, which I'd never watched before on mm. TV. I couldn't bring myself to watch it. I and I, when I watched it, I it struck me that I, I thanked my parents for their eccentricity. <laughs> and, <laughs> and because that's what has made me what I am. Yeah. You know? 
Yeah, that wow, how wonderful is that? Yeah. Do you feel like you may draw on some of your Africanness for your your work? Yeah, I mean, I think the key thing and I think my work expresses this too is sort of about existing in two places at once. Yep. And that duality and the journey to bring those two parts of you together, which I think you know, I think is an ongoing journey. It's a it's an ongoing pathway that you're creating, but it, it's kind of one that I've found a way to enjoy now. And also I've stopped rejecting one or the other. So, you know, I'd land in America after a long journey and I'd be get to the hotel and I'm like, I need a cup of tea because <laughs> that's just the British side of me just needs a cup of tea, right? Because you need that comfort. You need, But then, you know, there are times where I just want one of my mom's good beef stews. I just, I can't express something unless I express it the way my mom used to in Chui. Mm-hmm. If I'm really, if I feel really emotional and I'm mm-hmm. looking for the right word, yeah. sometimes it's not in English anymore. Sometimes it's in Chui. I do think that fashion and costume are involved a lot in film. And, you know, my mom used to wear European clothes during the week, but at the weekend when she went to church, it was the extravaganza of getting dressed and it was the beautiful prints and patterns of Ghana and the beautiful kind of these elegantly cut, you know, skirts with tops with a nipped in waist and a big head wrap and a you know, set of earrings and the shoes always had to match the handbag. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'd watch my mum getting dressed and consequently I can't, I can't make a, you know, the last, my last three movies have been costume, you know, period pieces yeah. because costumes, you know, figure so, so much in, in the telling of the story. And I like to think that every craft involved in filmmaking should be able to tell the story by itself. So the music should, if you only heard the music, you should get a sense of what what story is being told in the movie. If you only looked at the costumes, you should get a sense. And I enjoy that process because of this, this upbringing with these parents who kind of created their own theatre um, <laughs> and enjoyed and enjoyed it, you know, and it, and, and it was just part of life. There was no effort yeah. in it, you know, and there I was this tiny thing, you know, I'm surrounded by that. Mm-hmm. I like this use of, of the idea of the outsider in a way that can float above your own life in yes. a way yes. and observe both sides exactly. of, of life. And it can be a fascinating thing. Yeah. In your films, uh-huh. you deal with some complex relationships mm-hmm. generally mm-hmm. coming from Polar opposites. Yeah. But the optimism Mm. of love Mm -hmm. to something I'm in love with. Mm -hmm. I'm in love with love Mm -hmm. because it's so optimistic Mm -hmm. and it fights through all of the obstacles that are put in its way. Yeah. I will go to the consequence of love. Mm -hmm. Whatever come, what may you see. The game for me is you. Yeah. There's some doubt that's out about this love, but I won't let it be. I there will be no love be, dying here for there me. There will be no love <laughs> dying here for See, me. I'm constantly talking about Absolutely. the desire for love to do what it wants to do and fight through the obstacles, sometimes man-made, yeah. sometimes, you know. Absolutely. But the obstacles. Yeah. And this is why music 
why your music contributes to the soundtrack of my life mm. and, and what I do, because I'm also in love with love. And, mm. I'm, and, it, and, and what I'm in love with is the optimism that love expresses, as mm-hmm. you say. Mm-hmm. I love romantic love, but I'm also fascinated with paternal love, maternal love. Absolutely. I'm fascinated, you know, with sibling love because sibling love is so complicated Sibling love cannot look like love sometimes, you know, and yet there's love there. And so it, it, I, I believe that as human beings, that there is someone, there's someone for everyone. And sometimes, you know, that might be a mother, you might be adopted, that might be a father, that might be the, um, the sibling you find that isn't even your blood sibling, but you, you know, you find that brother from another mother or sister from another mister. So I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated with how we can seem so different on the surface. And when we're in it, we seem so different. But when we allow ourselves, when we set the hangups aside, the, our hangups and everybody else's hangups, because we can be so concerned with who other people love right. when it's none of our business. <laughs> It's none of our business yeah. when we just, and when, when we disassociate ourselves from, from all of that, a United kingdom, my third film was about a love that withstood an empire. I mean, an empire, two continents, three countries against one man and one woman who decided to fall in love. And it was a true story. It was the true story of the first, uh, first president and first lady of, of Botswana. She was English. She was British and, um, you know, upper working class, lower middle class. And he was, he was a prince. He was an African prince. Who would have figured they would fall in love and that he would take her back to Africa to become his queen in a country that was ruled by an empire and where people who looked like her we're not your friend. Right. And somehow they found their way. Somehow they managed to find their way. And he did so not, not only whilst maintaining dignity, but as a king, he handed democracy to his people and said, vote for me. And they, they voted in turn for him to become their first president and her, the first lady. And I, I look at those stories and I think, how, how, how did he was exiled from his country for years you know, and their love had to, they were separated for a period of time and somehow they still had to keep that connection and fight the same fight, even though they were separated. So I feel like there's someone for everyone. And the question is, will you allow yourself to know who that person is by letting go of everything that society tells you should be, must be? you know, could be if you fall in love, all the things that could go wrong if you fall in love. Artificial life rules, constructions of man. Yeah. Um, have you ever, in the, in the, com- in the complex relationships mm-hmm. uh, that you portrayed, have you ever had those similar conditions in your own relationships? I've never had um, the extremes that I show in my films. You know, for those people who don't know me, I'm, I'm black and I'm female and I'm British, obviously, um, and I'm married to a Dane and, and he's a white Dane. And so I've never had those, those extremes. I've been lucky. My, his parents are good, open people yeah. and, and my parents fell in love with him. But what I have had from you, we, we have had the judgment 
and we have had the stares and we have had the curiosity and sometimes the anger, you know, from other people. And for him, that was a surprise because, you know, it's sometimes less of, less of a surprise from the person who's from the underrepresented group, if you like, than it is for, for the other person. But, you know, one of the reasons why I profoundly tell the stories that I do, or I try to tell them as profoundly as I, I do, is that, is that I believe in love. As, as we said earlier, I, and, and I believe that with two people working together on the same page, I do believe it can conquer most things. Now, you know, there have been some terrible, terrible situations that people have, have gone through. And, you know, in my last film that I, I've just made, which is set during the, the Holocaust, it's 1944 Germany. And it tells the story of an Afro-German girl. And when I was interviewing Afro-German survivors of World War II, you know, I came across one woman whose father was black and whose mother was white and whose mother was taken away to a camp to learn to become a good German woman because she wouldn't let go of her, her African partner, the father of her children. And, you know, that didn't end so well. You know, in those circumstances, although their love, you know, remained for each other, she she survived the war and came back to to Berlin. Uh, she was emancipated from the camp, but then her her man, who was still in Berlin, her African man, died. Wow! Um, and they were never able to marry. Wow! And so, but the love doesn't die. Yeah. You know, yeah. there isn't always a happy ending, but the one thing they can't kill is the love. Yeah. And that's the thing that I'm, I'm fascinated by. And like I say, you know, that, that, that love, you know, doesn't stand alone in the, in the film Bell that I, I wrote and directed, you know, this young woman of an African slave and a woman and a, a father who is an English admiral who doesn't take care of her for the rest of her life. He gives her to his uncle, his uncle who's uncertain about what it might be to raise a black woman in 18th century England in his household. He's the Lord Chief Justice of the land. Yeah. And he falls in love with her and she falls in love with him as parent and child. And so many people see that as a romantic story because she has a love interest. And in real life, this woman really did marry her love interest in the film. But for me, the story is really a love story between the father and the daughter. Yeah. And what it means to open your heart to something you never imagined you might love. Yeah. And not just be responsible for her today, but be responsible for her tomorrow, for her future. Not just you know, take care of her in terms of finance, but take care of her so that she has a good emotional life, so that she has a good spiritual life, so that she has the tools to exist as an individual by herself. And I, I, I'm, I'm in love with that. Yeah. You know, there's subtle moments in in the film where, you know, that she's extraordinarily beautiful woman. Yes. And you're, you're, you're playing with this, uh, the men who are around her are yeah. sometimes don't want to deal with her as a as a woman, but as a um, exotic treat. Thing, you know. So in playing with that, and the ultimate love story being the the daughter father relationship is was, you know, yeah. just an extraordinary yeah. thing. And my father died um, about eight hours before I shot the the climax of that movie. And, uh, you know, my first movie was very different and uh, my dad was very proud and he loved the movie, but this movie that I was making, Belle, was for him. Mm. And, um, you know, the father in that story is very much um, 
inspired by my father, even though this father was white and the, the highest judge in the land. So the question became how to do this. And, you know, there was not a question of me being able to have time off. We were shooting scenes with 300 supporting, you know, extras and um, three of the leads. So I did what, what you do, right? You, I turned that love um, that I had for my father and that he had for me into something that could be honoured by those those scenes. And those scenes that we were filming were the courtroom judgment scenes where the Lord Chief Justice of England decrees that these slaves that have been thrown overboard because they became too Ill, Ill to sell and they would make more in insurance than they would, you know, dead in insurance than they would as, as sick people to sell. You know, this question became, were they cargo or were they people? And it's down to this Lord Chief Justice, this this father of this now adopted niece to make this judgment. And, and I knew in that moment that I wanted this judgment to be from his heart, what he felt, what he thought, what he knew was right, but also to be this gift to his child, to his daughter. You are a person and anybody, everybody that looks like you and that you are of is a person. And therefore, as the Lord Chief Justice did decree, there can be no such thing as a slave on English soil. And, you know, the question then became, was he already that man? And that's why he was able to open his heart and take in a black daughter. Or did she have such an impact on him that she was able to to open his eyes to something that perhaps he wouldn't have seen based on the world that he came from, which was a world that made money from slavery. Yeah. And, and so, you know, the question of how love impacts us and how we impact love, I think is a big, important, important question. I'm so, I don't know why I'm so emotional right now. <laughs> the, 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 <laughs> the two, the several things that you're, that you're talking about are really just resonating Mm-hmm. with me and have resonated with me in in my music. Mm-hmm. First of all, you talked about you and your husband having the the looks. My wife is Russian. Right. And she was I know, yeah. My then girlfriend, we're walking down the street in New York City. Right. And uh walking down the street minding our own business on a spring day and it was beautiful. Mm-hmm. And somebody just said three feet away from us standing there, that's a weird couple. And um and then walked off, looked us both from <laughs> foot to head and mm-hmm. walked off. And mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and I was struck by it, mm-hmm. but I, I let it stew in me for a while. I, I You know, and it, like you say, I knew exactly yes. what was being said. My wife didn't understand it. But, mm-hmm. I mean, my, she was my girlfriend. Yeah, then, yeah. Didn't understand it at the time. So I let it stew in me. Mm-hmm. So And then the song... How did we meet? That is the question of our love. Oh my goodness. They pray defeat, petty pallbearers of our love. Forces of hate, of storm, the gates around, the castle of our love. You know, understand what I'm saying? And so that and the other the other moment, <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right there. The other moment that moved me in, in Bell is, is this, I'm thinking of the African who goes into the water. Mm-hmm. And at the point he goes into- Chained, the, chained to other Africans, chained. You go into the water chained. Yeah. And 
what does he, does he struggle? Does he give in? Does he, this is, this was my question. Yeah. And so, yeah. So the song Water is taken from a feeling of a prayer. My mother had this thing about water, uh-huh. cleansing, renewing, uh-huh. uh, redeeming. So the bridge, I, I don't, it's, it's not implied in the lyric, but when I get to the bridge of the song, ooh, it even has that, that funeral type tone mm-hmm. in, in terms of a mm-hmm. song. Mm-hmm. Ooh, wash me, wash me, wash me. Let me rest in you. This is the slave saying to the water. Yes. Peace. Let me rest in Peace. you. Peace. Absolutely. Peace. Peace. The water in killing the slave yeah. is also yeah. his gateway to freedom. To freedom, to his ancestors. Absolutely. Oh my God. It's uh It's 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 there's so much power yeah. in dealing with some of the the complexity and and roots of of who we are as as a people and it can bring so and, much and society and society yeah but but we can we can i do and you do it as well i i want to humanize of course of course the past the people of course and and dignify of course and and that becomes because you know you know, and you realize that the only way you can throw human beings into the water chained, men, women, children, is to dehumanize them, right? You know that in order for the Nazis to do what they did to the Jews, they first had to dehumanize them. It began with, because everything you, you deal with sound, you deal with language, you deal with musical notes, right? And we know, and, and we know how powerful that can be to create love and, you know, words, and sound can create hate too. So first you create the climate. You create the climate of hate through words. You paint these people as something as other than people. And when you do that effectively enough, is it ringing any bells with today, by the way? But if when you do yeah. that effectively enough, it becomes so easy for an 18-year-old SS officer to kill an 88-year-old lady yeah. because he she's no longer an 88-year-old lady. Right. And the moment we allow ourselves, you know, it's no accident that Hitler controlled music in Germany. It's no it's no accident that he he made decisions about books, about teachers, education, but also about music because music makes you feel and he needed he actually needed his, and, and music makes you love, mm. right? And mm-hmm. he needed Germany to not love other outside of them, outside of what they could recognize as themselves. Yeah. He needed yeah. them to hate. He and realized so, the power of it for sure. Right, yeah. right. And so in particular, as you know, jazz was, jazz was, <laughs> was banned. Certain kinds of music were banned. And when you, who could imagine all of these men that I, gathered together for the courtroom judgment and imagine the real men. But who could imagine if a man came out and sung like you just sang, that they could not and would not feel. And that's dangerous. Yeah, That's dangerous because if you start to feel, guess what happens? You want to, you start to love. And if you start to love, you start to share. 
And if you start to share, there are no winners or yeah. losers. <laughs> so it becomes a whole different world, right? Yeah. You know, and I recognize what you say. I recognize what you say about the letting the feeling resonate inside you when somebody actually invades your invades the honor of the relationship that you have with somebody else and believes they they can just comment on it like it's a like it's an exhibit in a in an exhibition and i remember my nephew coming home on my 30th birthday and calling me well he was 4 and my brother was very upset and i went and asked my brother why he was upset he said somebody in the park had um called him a mongrel mm-hmm. and luke my nephew wanted to know what that meant um, and obviously you know, he was too young to have that explained to him, mm-hmm. but you suddenly realize a four-year-old and uh, this is how we speak to each other now yeah. as adults who are responsible for the future of children. And so from that evolved my first film, A Way of Life. I wanted to understand, I wanted to look at racism as a symptom. And if it was a symptom, if for one moment we just imagined that it it is, maybe it is, but we just imagined it's as a symptom, what might be the causes? And in that evolved a whole, or unfolded a whole story about outsiders, about people who felt they wanted to belong, but didn't belong, about class, about gender, about what it is to be a mother, even though you're only a teenage mother at 17 years old, what it is to be threatened every day with having your child taken away from you because you're deemed not to be a good mother. When at the same time, that child is the only thing that gives you a, an identity as mother because society has taken everything else from you, away from you. Who might you blame in those circumstances? Who might be the scapegoats? If you already feel at the bottom of the, the food chain, you can't blame anybody else above you. Who might you find? Maybe immigrants, you know, maybe people who are loving in a way that you're not brave enough to love. <laughs> maybe, you know, so it's, um, it becomes, yeah, it becomes fascinating to, to explore all, the, all of these things, but also hold yourself to account, right? I'm sure in your songwriting, you hold yourself to account. Yeah. Because we're human, right? Right. And so we get it wrong too. We fail too. We we are vulnerable too. And I always say, you know, it's not always about holding a mirror up at society when you're telling stories either through song or through film, but it's more like a selfie because sometimes you're in it, (laughs) right? You know, you've got society behind you and you're right at the front (laughs) and you're taking that, you know, Oscar night selfie yeah. and everybody's, and everybody's in, the, in yeah. society's in the, in the photo with you. Right. Yeah. So yeah. what are you, what are you accountable for in this life, in this world? Hey guys, you're listening to the hang hit subscribe or follow on your podcast thingamajig of choice to get every episode of the hang fresh off the presses. 1-size-fits-all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. 
That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm dealing with a, um, and I have something that's welled inside of me. Uh-huh. I lived, I moved away from California, lived in Brooklyn for 13 years, and just recently moved back to California. Oh, so, different. Right. And it, it does... A lot of things. It, it, I moved back to my hometown. Mm. And so you drive by the old elementary school and high school and all the memories start to flood back. And I was just uh, just thinking about my, I've mentioned it in a, in a, in a previous podcast, but, you know, the, the prom and all of these, you know, yes. the high school relationships, and all, this, all that stuff is flooding back now. And I think about some moments and... Um, Separate from that, I find that as I consider these places in my my childhood, mm. I find that I many times the things I'm trying to set right in a song uh, are something that happened oh at that time. Goodness. So I'm dealing with this. I'm writing this song now. It'll probably be on the next record. And it's, I use the names of people in the UK. I don't use Jules Holland, but I use Mr. Holland. And I use, oh, I and he has a daughter, Rosie May, Mr. Holland and Rosie May. These oh, are great names, right? Oh my goodness. So the lyric is, you know, I had, I liked this girl. She liked me. We were kind of a little couple until the mama found out, you know, she's white, I'm black. The daddy got wind of it and it was all hell broke loose. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, this is, this is one of those things my mother would talk about. Like all hell broke loose. Yeah, like, right. People was threatening to move folks and I, I I needed to be watched by a third person. And oh it, my goodness. So I didn't get to go to the prom. I watched her drive. <gasps> she, she went with somebody who was my neighbor and I watched her drive past in, in the limo with him to the prom. We were supposed to go together. Oh my God. This so, is heartbreaking. So it it kind of is. <laughs> but, 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 um, Hello, Mr. Holland. I want it to be regular. I just want it to be normal. I don't want anything given to me on a on a platter. I just want it to, a regular, normal. I don't want my attraction to her. Not only my attraction, but my, even if we get married. Right. I don't want my walking down the street. I don't want it to be unusual. Not, not so much, not unusual, but something that's like a, <gasps> that's a shock. So in the song I'm saying, Hello, Mr. Holland. Can Rosie May come out and play? She's a good girl now. Won't be no trouble, no how. I'm expressing to him. Yeah. yeah. I'm a normal guy. Yeah. I, She's a normal girl. Yeah. By the and I, and then I keep throughout the song I keep throwing out the word by the way and 
oh yeah, and these 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 to norma- terms to normalize, to normalize. To normalize. I, By I, the way, Mr. Yeah. Holland, I like the way you made no problem of the color of my skin. It's not a problem, nor has it ever been. Yeah. And so that speaks of me and all of the the of people course. who have ever of course had some issue with of such course. a thing. Now I'm surprised that it puts a hump in my back now. This was so long ago, but I I I only I see not only just in in, in my blackness. It's, it's Mexican to to white. It's white to black. It's it's all of us. Yeah. It's all of us. Get over this this idea. Yeah. Yes, our culture and our, the importance of it is 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 extremely important. Yeah. But when it comes to love, yeah, let a, it be, man. It's a passport, man. Let it be. Love is a passport. Let, it be. Ooh, let me write that down. That's worthy of. Uh, oh, I got it on tape. Love <laughs> you, is a passport. All right, yeah, <laughs> we heard it here yeah. first. <laughs> Will you remind me of of a line in about Amanda Stenberg's character in Where Hands Touch, where her mom is talking to her aunt and she's asking. So it's 1944 Berlin, and her her mom is saying to her aunt whose husband works for the the National Socialist Regime, please get her some papers so that we can say she has been sterilized when she hasn't because biracial children were sterilized in Nazi Germany. So she's saying, you know, I need the paperwork to prove that she's been sterilized when she hasn't. And the sister, the mom's sister, the aunt is saying, you brought her here to my house. She's a Negro. You know, do you think people don't talk? Do you not think that you're going to bring trouble on my head? You know, they already took my husband away and he He's part of the the government and questioned him all night because um, somebody said he had a Jewish grandmother. And now you bring this Negro girl of yours, you know, to my doorstep. And she says to her, to her sister, uh, Amanda Stenberg's mother in this story, you want her to be different and that will not work. You want her to be different and you want her to, to get through this war unscathed. And we, none of us will get through the war unscathed. And the mother of this black child says, no, I don't want her to be different. I want her to be the same, (laughs) right? I want her to be normal like everybody else. And and that's, that's what I hear when you, it doesn't surprise me that this, as you put it, still gives you a hump in your back because these are profound and deeply buried seeds that are there to, you know, grow roots and and create a stem that really only you can find a way, find a means to to unroot, you know. And so and for you it's through music, for me it's through film. You know, I think that's what art does. And that's why I was kind of blown away when you said, you know, the idea of us trying to heal, heal the past in some ways, you know, heal I had a very simple thing where as a, as a child, my, my, there's no real creativity that's expressed in the way that I express it in my family, but I copied everything that my best friend Samantha did. And she went to tap dancing classes on a Tuesday. So I did too. <laughs> and my mom worked really hard and, and her shop was always open. She ran a shop in Shepherd's Bush. And I said to her one day, mom, come and see me in this school show. Cause we're doing, you know, an end of term show and I would love you to see me in it. And so my mom, who never came to anything, finished work early and came all the way across London to back home to see me in this, this school show from this evening class that I would do as a little girl. And I wasn't in it. 
And my mom said, well, what happened, honey? Because I came all this way to see you and you were not even in the show. And I said, yeah, I was supposed to be. And I did all the rehearsal for weeks. I did the rehearsal. But at the last minute, the teacher said the song was called Blue Eyes and you don't have blue eyes. So you can't be in the song. So I wasn't in the show. And um, when my dad heard that story, my dad, who never really showed me his he never really showed me his pain in that way, was so furious that um, he drove around London looking for what was called at the time and is still called stage schools. They're full-time schools where you had formal education, but you also learned elements of stage life, of singing, dancing, you know, drama, all of that. And so from 10 years old, I was enrolled into full-time stage school based on that one sentence that that woman said and my dad being (laughs) Um, <laughs> determined amazing. that she could not win. Yeah. She would not win. That's amazing. And now I tell stories about people who do and don't have blue eyes. Yeah. And they yeah. can all be in my stories. <laughs> right, right. Wow. Ooh, <laughs> you know? Yeah, so you just... are, you're constantly trying to find the way to, I don't want to say take the power back, but make the power even. Yes, you're right. You know? Yeah, I like take the power back. I don't know. It's yeah, just, maybe. We're redeemed well, if it's been power. taken from you, I guess. Yes, yes, I guess. Yes. Listen, I, I like to deal with like true vulnerability. If, mm-hmm. if, if mm-hmm. something hurt me, it really, like, you know, it's nice to be the hero and strong enough to handle everything, all the slings and arrows that come your way. But sometimes you don't. Sometimes you can't. Totally. Sometimes you're weakened by certain things. Yeah. And you're hurt. Yeah. And I'm okay with that. Yeah. I'm okay with the, with, with the suffering and the pain if I've, I have a course to. Exactly. Right. Redeem. Exactly. And, and, and I think that's the beauty of the music as well when I listen to it is, um, there's always a story being told, right? Mm. Your, your music is so full of complete stories. Mm. So I think it's really funny, actually. I find this whole thing really weird and like a whole full circle moment in a way, because, <laughs> um, where we're at at the moment, this is so weird, but where we're at at the moment at the Cafe Royal uh-huh. is where I stayed while I was doing prep for my last film, Where Hands Touch. Uh-huh. And then we went off to Belgium to shoot it. And then when we came back to London, to Soho, around the corner to do the edit, I um, moved back to my apartment that that I have here. And so every day I would get on the 55 bus to go into the edit for six months. And for six months, I would have my my, my Beats headphones on, on the bus. And uh, I was exactly a 20 minute ride. And I'd walk into the edit and all the way on the bus journey and walking into the edit and walking, you know, going up in the lift, all anybody could ever hear blaring out of my headphones was Gregory Porter. (laughs) And so, so my editor would go, Oh, you're listening to Gregory again, you know, as I'd walk in. And so it feels like this huge kind of full circle moment because it, because the music surrounded that film, yeah. you know, the making of that, this film yeah. so much in so many ways. Wow. And I think about when I would sit on the bus and, and, and when I would start, when I would start the album, I would always, I'd start it at the same moment and I'd always be at the same place on the bus yeah. when we'd get to a certain song and mama, don't you worry. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And wow. I would think about my husband speaking to my father yeah. Because for that song, you're leaving your daughter in real good hands. I'm a real good man. 
And I remember the last time my husband saw my dad before he died. I met my my husband while my father was just getting Alzheimer's. Um, so they didn't have a long time together. And um, my dad just wanted to be sure that I was going to be okay. Like I was going into, into sharing a life with the right person. And um, so it was the last time my father was put in a chair in the hospital and I was cutting his hair. And my husband came through the door and my dad, who was very weak, his kidneys were weak. So he was bent over in the chair, sort of looked up very, very slowly, all the way up to my husband who was standing. And then very, very slowly, my dad lifted up his hand. It took a long time. We were all wondering what he was doing. And he put his hand out and he shook my husband's hand. And um, my husband knew in that moment, it was the last time he would see him. I didn't. And I knew that my dad was saying, this, this, this is it now. So you got to do it right, you know? And, and so every time I hear that song, I, I'm thinking of that moment and I'm thinking, actually, I'm thinking good things because I'm thinking that my dad is like, is reassured by that song and is reassured by those words and is, and is looking down okay because yeah. he's a real good man and yeah. I'm in real good hands. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. I love absolutely. it. Wow. I'm just so full of, wow, so full of everything right now. Just really beautiful to talk to you about, about your journey and how you've, you're, you're telling these extraordinary stories that are helping the next generation to understand who we, who, who we were and who we can become. Right. I think that's so key. Yeah. That's so key is that there are, you know, history is full of so many sad stories. Yeah. And and then it's also often painted as sad stories and then heroes. Yeah. And I love what you say about vulnerability. And I love what you say about, you, you know, what songs do for me is remind me of the plethora of human experience, the expanse of human experience and encourage me to to find that in film, to say your characters can go on a journey. It doesn't matter that we've never seen a character like this before go on a big journey, but they can go on huge journeys. Of, and what is huge? Huge doesn't have to be, you know, mountains and aeroplanes, and, but a huge journey can be the, the experience of learning who you are and who you can be. And I think, you know, that so I've just come from a screening now where I screen to you know, I don't know, 60 or 70 young women who had all sorts of ideas about what my film was going to be about before they sat down and experienced it in the cinema and who all were deeply emotional by the time it finished. And I love, you know, often if I'm asked to judge, you know, sit on a jury and judge a movie and I often think, how am I going to do this? You know, all the movies that I'm being asked to, to judge in this section, they're all great. They have good production value. They have good acting. They have good score, you know, they have good, how do I compare them? And then I decided long ago that it's the movie that moves me. So if I feel different by the end of the movie than I feel at the beginning, then it's moved me from one place to another, literally, then that's, that's the movie that, that does it for me. And music has the power to do that in a very short space of time. It does. Yeah. Right. So, so, so that's why it helps. That's why it helps me you know, so much. It's, uh, 
I, my sister once asked me when I was really little, if you could be any other energy um, than human energy, what would you be? And I was about seven and I said, I'd be a musical note. <laughs> <laughs> wow, what a beautiful idea. Though. What a beautiful idea to be a musical note. Which note? I don't know because I can't read music, <laughs> but I'd be a musical note. <laughs> something high pitched. Yeah. And I don't know. Something that resonates. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. What a, what a thank you. I'm going to thank you so much. I mean, it's wow. Really wonderful conversation. And this, you know, this conversation inspires me and I'm almost certain uh, because my experiences of of one-on-one conversations often find their way into my music. I think, I think that'll happen. I'm almost certain of it. Just the strength. uh, And it fortifies my ideas of, of what I think of, of the optimism that I I have about love. Um, So thank you. Thank you for that. Thank Thank you you for your work. Thank you, you know, for you. (laughs) Listen, it's been a pleasure and and an honor. And uh, I was blown away to be asked. So thank you. And I knew I'd find my way to you one day to say thank you for the music. Hey, there we go. For sure. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. was powerful. <laughs> yeah, you got me. I was that like, oh. was tough. I know. Ooh, ooh. I'm glad this one was the end of the day. <laughs> <laughs> so there it is. Thank you so much for taking the time to hang. Don't forget, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, Stitcher, or the podcast thingamajig of your choice. Click that subscribe button. Go on. That's it. <laughs> Never miss out on an invitation to hang. Clap your hands now. I'm Gregory Porter, and this has been The Hang, a cup and nuzzle production. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.